0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning. How's everyone this morning? Uh, Like Frank said, my name is Tyler. I have the fortune to be one of the pastors here at Heritage Park, and it is my pleasure to get to open the Word with everyone today. Uh, we will be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible but would like one, you can get one. We have some on the sides of the tech booth at the back. Uh, you are welcome to grab that and use it during the service and return it. Or if you'd rather, if you would like to keep it, uh, that would be our gift to you and would be very glad for you to take that. Um, normally, this is the point in the service. We say, if you're a user of the Bible app, da da, da 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 But I realized last night that I completely forgot to do that. So if you are a user of the Bible app, Try again next week. Um, We're we're rolling old school today. Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, So, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Uh, Let's go ahead and read that if you've had a chance to get there. There the Apostle Paul writes this. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. Let's Take a moment and pray again, if you would. Father, thank you for this truth shared uh, by Paul. Thank you for the ability just to um, join alongside your work in us of sanctification and discipline ourselves for godliness. May you grant us the grace and the power uh, and the patience to go along for the ride. May we be faithful to you and may we be uh, more obedient every day as we learn to grow in love for you and love for others. Amen. So this week we are wrapping up sort of this short series that we started I guess three weeks ago. This is our fourth where we've been talking about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits that we build into our lives that call us to know who God is, to love God more, and then to learn what it looks like to join him and join him in his mission uh, in this world of redemption. And we called the series uh, Rhythm because our lives tend to have this rhythm built into them. And I know some of you hear that and go, clearly you have not seen me dance. Uh, and I get that. Like we are at a Baptist church after all. Like I, we can kind of all join together. Kind of deep down, I think that Baptists never actually had a problem with dancing. All the people just couldn't dance, needed a place to go and hang out. And they wouldn't get asked. And it's convenient. And like, hey, you want to go dancing? No, nah, God said I can't. I'm Baptist. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and so we're here and that's fine. But that's not the rhythm that we're talking about, right? We're talking about just these repetitive Things that take place in our life that so much of our life is just doing the same actions again and again and again: eating and drinking, sleeping and waking, going to work, going home, taking care of the house, uh, taking care of the lawn. Over and over and over in our lives, we have these rhythms just kind of naturally built in, just like the seasons: winter, fall, spring, summer. Um, or in Houston, summer, summer, summer. You know, uh, but. Theoretically, there are others. Uh, And so we've been talking about what does it look like as believers, as people who follow Christ, uh, what should we build into our lives that help us to grow in our love of God and our love of neighbor? Because this doesn't just happen naturally, right? You don't wake up one morning and find yourselves a radically uh, better lover of God, a radically better lover of the people around us than we went to bed the night before. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes diligence. This is why we've been jumping off for the series from this command in First uh, Timothy of Paul, where he says to discipline yourself for godliness. Just in the same way, if we wanted to be uh, healthier, we would discipline our eating habits. In the same way, if we want to be a better athlete, we would discipline ourselves to work out or to you know go shoot uh, hoops in the gym. If we want to become a better basketball player, whatever we want to do in life, be a better employee, be a better student, uh, it takes this time and effort to discipline ourselves in our Christian life is no different. We're to discipline ourselves for godliness. Now, fortunately, we also have this promise in Scripture that it's not ultimately up to our effort. It's not all on us. That God's Spirit works in us and through us to bring about these results and this growth, which is great news for us because what this means is it's not about us being able to kind of will it to be. It's not about us figuring out the right uh number of devotionals to have, or reading the right scripture for the right amount of time, to learn to pray for the right amount of time, or pray in the right way, or fast a certain amount. No, it's, it's God's promise to meet us and transform us, that it's not our skill, but it's God's promise as we put ourselves before him. That's why a lot of times throughout church history, uh, these habits, these practices have been called to, or uh, referred to as means of grace. What they mean by that is that there's not grace... In the practices in and of themselves, that's not what transform us. But these help uh, us to be this is a means of grace, which God's transforming grace comes into our lives. You can think about it like this. A few weeks ago, Andrea uh, took Logan and went to see her parents in Oklahoma. So I had the house to myself for a couple of days. And you know, after you know, doing nothing for like a day and a half, I was like, this is actually probably a good time to be productive and do some of those house projects that are on the list but I just haven't gotten to yet. And so I spent a couple of hours on a Saturday just replacing light switches. A uh, super fun way to spend your Saturday afternoon, but it's like, you know, football's not quite back yet, so what else was I going to do, I guess? Um, but one of the things is was kind of replacing these light switches. I started thinking about them and thought, you know, we don't think about light switches at all, but it's not that long ago that these things would have seemed like a small miracle. Like if you'd never seen a light switch, if you're from some desert island and you come or time travel from 200 years ago and someone's, you're in a room that's dark and someone flips a switch, And suddenly light fills the room, and then they hit the switch again, and light goes off. You're like, what kind of sorcery are you doing here? Like, this is amazing. You created light. And your thought would be that the switch is what created it, which performed this uh, miracle of creating light. But we, because we kind of are familiar with them and we know how it works, um, or maybe you don't, you just always take it for granted, Uh, but the light switch actually isn't a complex piece of equipment. Like, I think it's 60 or $0.80 at Home Depot. It's super cheap, uh, and it doesn't even perform really that complicated of a task. All the light switch does is when you flip it, it completes a circuit. And it doesn't produce any light in and of itself, but what it does is it completes that circuit, and it's the conduit so that the power and the energy and the electricity that's being produced uh, outside of your house and is running along power wires can then go in, go through your walls, go through all the wiring, and go to the fixture with a light bulb in it and then produces the light. It's the same way with these uh, practices and these habits and these rhythms we're talking about. They don't produce any transformation in us. What they do is kind of complete that circuit. They're the conduit through which God uses to transform us by the power of his spirit. And so the the past couple of weeks, we've kind of focused on individual rhythms, the things we build into our life as uh, single people. And do on our our own and then also maybe do them together. But today we're focusing a little bit differently. We're going to talk about what uh, corporate rhythms do we have? What does it look like as a body of believers to come together and do certain things that help uh, God transform who we are day in and day out? I think often when we think about uh, the spiritual disciplines in our life, the, the spiritual patterns we have, we tend to neglect what we do corporately. I think we, we, we do that some because we are a very highly individualistic culture. Uh, we think about my spiritual relationship as personal, it's between me and Christ, and that's absolutely true. No one else's faith can save you, not your parents' faith, not your spouse's faith, uh, not your kids' faith. For your it has to be a personal decision, a personal faith in who Jesus was. But it's also true that Jesus isn't just about saving individuals, that God is saving for himself a people. That's what the salvation's always been about, is God not just bringing individuals to know him, but uh, together into a family of faith. One of the primary New Testament pictures of what it means to be saved is adoption into the family of God, which means we, not just have, we don't just have God as our father, but we have other Christians as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in this together. If you look at the New Testament, uh, a big chunk of the New Testament are these letters that were written by Paul or by Jesus, uh, James or, or Peter, uh, but they're written not to individuals. Like when we write a letter, we tend to write it to uh, mom, to dad, to a friend, to a particular person. But the authors of the New Testament wrote letters to full churches, kind of giving us instruction on what it means to live life together and to live out our Christian faith amongst one another. And there's four there's only four of the letters in the New Testament that are written to individuals, and three of those are written to leaders of a church, primarily about how do you lead your church. And so almost the entire New Testament is given to us uh, with essentially commands that are you all. We don't have that in English. We just read you because English hasn't fig- or the English language isn't as good as the Texas language. You know, we're trying to help people out with the y'all. Um, but that's what most commands in the New Testament is that we all should be doing this. This thing we call the Christian life from start to finish was meant to be a community project as God redeems a people for his name. And so what are some of these rhythms? Uh, we're going to look at three this morning. We kind of try to take three each week. There are more, but uh, for the sake of time, we're, we're limiting it to three. Um, and the first one we want to look at is just corporate worship, um, coming together with other believers to worship God. And so if the first two weeks in here, you're like, I'm O for the whole thing, you got one, you're here, you know, congratulations. Uh, we are doing this right now in coming together uh, to encourage one another, to sing alongside one another, to hear the word of God preached. Um, Ephesians 5.19 tells us to, we should encourage one another with uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which is just kind of what we were doing when Frank was up here leading what we'll do in a few minutes. In Hebrews, uh, we're commanded to not neglect meeting with one another, but instead to come together and encourage each other it's an important part of how God shapes us into who He wants us to be, and many of us can attest to this through personal experience. I would imagine, like if you were to look back on your walk with God, many of the kind of big milestone moments where you really encountered God in a unique way was surrounded by other believers, either a Sunday service or a Sunday evening service, or uh, maybe a youth service or a youth camp or a VBS or a midweek revival. Uh, you know, all of these different ways, where something special happens. When a group of believers come together to focus on who God is and what He's done on our behalf, it's an important part of how God shapes us. But what does this need to look like, right? Because not every church does it the same way. Not every church out there, uh, their service looks exactly like Heritage Park. Um, They're working on it, but they're not there yet. You know, we just got to give them a little bit of grace, right? No, uh, you don't have to have every service look the exact same. But what is crucial? there's not a, a single verse that kind of says, this is what you should do when you come together. Uh, but we're, we're standing in the line of a long, uh, rich tradition of Christian history, the Protestant tradition. that's really kind of said, hey, there are two things that the corporate worship of the church is centered and based on. And the first is the preaching of God's word. That's What we're doing right now. And then the second thing is the administration of the ordinances, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these two things are really what we kind of built our life around as Heritage Park. Every time we get together to worship, it's going to be someone who stands up here, typically Trent, sometimes Kyle, sometimes me, sometimes somebody else, uh, but opens the Word and says, this is what God has said, and this is what God is saying to us today, and tries to help us understand and apply what Scripture has. And we're trusting that as this happens, as sermon is preached after sermon is preached, that not every individual sermon just radically transform us, but we trust in the promise of God that God's Word does not return void and that he is shaping us slowly over time into the product that he wants us to be. And then we also celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper kind of on a regular basis. We come together on the first week of the month is how we've chosen to do it here. Some churches celebrate it quarterly. Some churches celebrate it weekly. It's not kind of the frequency of it, but it's that it is an important part of life together. And then we baptize here. We kind of do it as needed, as people profess and say, hey, I've put my saving faith in Christ, and I want to follow him in baptism. Uh, We schedule that and we celebrate that in our service. Uh, I've also seen churches that kind of tend to hold off on that when people come forward and they try and lump them together and have like celebration services where it's just an hour of people telling their stories of this is how God met me and transformed me and now we get to celebrate together in baptism. Neither one of those are right or wrong. It's just kind of different ways to go about it. But the important thing is, again, these are the two elements that kind of center and ground us together and our life together is built around them. And so then our services contain other elements that come together to support and enrich and surround it. So We sing uh, to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord, or we sing in response to what we've heard. We give because we've been given um, so much. We hear testimonies, we pray, we connect with other believers. We may study the Bible in Sunday school immediately uh, before this, fellowshipping with people. All of this involves us coming together not as a collection of individuals that just happen to come to Heritage Park together, but is a small part of the family of God that is walking through life together. And we encourage each other. We mourn together. Uh, We learn humility and submission together because there's several hundred of us. So we have to say, hey, I've got my own preferences, but I need to sometimes bring those down and have things go different ways and be happy because uh, I want to see the gospel go forth. Because nothing we do, or, or let me say this, the things that we do from stage you can do at your home, right? Like you can download all the songs we sang and listen to them on your iPod. You can stream uh, this sermon. Once it's online, you can stream sermons from some of the best Bible teachers in the world. Just as as you can, those are good and great things to do. Uh, But there's something different that happens when we gather together. To just do those at home is flat. It's two-dimensional versus when we come together believing and trusting that God does something special when we've gathered together as the gathered uh, body of Christ. So let's, let's, we've done this every week. We're going to walk, look through some applications, kind of threefold, individual, uh, family, and then corporate uh, church applications for what this rhythm could look like on our own. Uh, as an individual, uh, what does this look like? How do you do something as an individual, let's say corporate rhythm? Well, I think the call to us uh, is to consider, is there a chance that we can have to prepare our hearts before we gather together? So before we come here, uh, how do we prepare to receive from God? And this may look like uh, kind of Sunday morning, in the after you get up, and as you're getting around, just taking a moment and praying and saying, "Lord, uh, I'm about to gather with your believers. We pray for you to move to do something unique, something powerful, uh, and we expect you to do that. Help me to receive what it is that you'd have me to receive." And I say that, and some of you look at me and go, "Like, that's not going to happen." I was 15 minutes late as it is. You want me to take another five minutes? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, okay, I get that. There are rhythms in life. There are seasons in life. There are circumstances where it doesn't have to be the morning of. Maybe it's the night before, after kids are asleep, and it's just kind of that stillness before you go to bed. Maybe it's earlier in the week. Again, the importance is not when you do it, but are we taking a moment to just prepare ourselves to receive and to hear from the Lord, or do we just kind of roll in and think, okay, what do you got here, God, Uh, and then roll out without really saying, I'm going to center myself and expect God to truly speak to me. Uh, A second thing we can do before coming together is spend some time uh, on our own reflecting on the passage that we're going to preach on that week. So every week we send it out. uh, Whatever we're going to focus on as far as a text that week, we put in the midweek memo and it gets emailed out uh, on a Wednesday. So you'll have it. It used to be a Tuesday, but then Trent left on sabbatical and our staff mutinied and it's Wednesday like it always should have been. Um, So Viva la Revolution. We got that going for us now. You'll get it on Wednesday. Um, We'll see what happens when he comes back. Uh, But just this opportunity to to spend some time immersing yourself and again believing that God's going to use the preaching of this text in a particular way and while the spirit can move and can use anything in any moment in an immensely powerful way the fact is it's typically we get more fruit out of it we we hear more if it's not the first time to hear the passage when we roll in and we read it and launch into the sermon if we're a little bit more familiar it kind of centers and uh, puts ourselves on in it a little bit more to get more out of the time Together uh, so then as a family, I think the, the application for us is to find times to worship as a family and this is both applied in coming here together as a family on Sundays to worship together, but then also taking kind of what we do here and saying how does this work its way into our weekly rhythms uh, in the home because if our faith is what our lives are based on that should play out in how our families interact with one another we can do worship and these things at home it doesn 't have to be uh, a full sermon that some, a parent has to prepare. It doesn't have to be uh, you break out the guitar or you have a great singing voice. There are thousands of ways this can work its way out depending on your family, depending on your rhythms, depending on where your kids are in age. Maybe it's just a, a question around the dinner table. Hey, what have you seen God do this week or today? Uh, maybe it's uh, just reading a passage and sharing a 30-second thought on it uh, and then leading a time of prayer. Uh, for my family, we've got a two-year-old, uh, which means it's typically chaos. Chaos. Um, all the time, always at our house. Uh, a lot of fun chaos, but still kind of chaos. Uh, and so what it looks like for us is uh, really, really simple. You know, as we put him down, we try and read stories, and we try as we can to work uh, Bible stories in there. Sometimes he, like, goes on strike, and he doesn't want to read the Jesus Storybook Bible. He wants to read the truck book for the thousandth time. And so, like, okay, this is not a hill to die on. And so we read the truck book again, and we just go, that's a fine, that's okay. Okay. Um, after story time, every night we sing. Sometimes it's wheels. It's always wheels on the bus. It's always wheels on the bus. Uh, but we also sing the doxology. We try and work in some hymns as well. Some of those things, are just simple to sing over this young child um, that he's beginning to kind of learn the words of. Uh, and then we pray. We just spend some time. Uh, I pray for him, and then I've started to ask him, hey, what do you want to pray about? And it's, you know, really simple stuff. This week, yeah, I'm going to tell you this for the first time. I wanted to pray for Mommy, He was helping people on gum, Um, and stuff like just sweet things to see his heart uh, kind of begin to work in that. Uh, It's early, it's young, he's two. Like there are a lot of work for God to do, but what we're trying to do is say, how can we put some building blocks in his life that are directing him towards what God is going to call him to do as God hopefully saves him and redeems him? And again, that's my family. That doesn't have to be yours. It's just a matter of can we think about what may this look like in my situation, in my context right now? And then finally, as a church, corporately, it's just coming together to do this, to worship, to sing, to encourage one another, to fellowship, to hear from the Word, to celebrate the ordinances when we do that, um, to bring together with all that we are and all that we're going through and all that God's doing in our life, good, bad, and ugly, uh, and bring it before the throne of God together as the family of God. And so the call on us, I think, is to make it a priority to be here, to say, no, it's not just when it's convenient to get up, but there's something that's truly uh, priceless about being together with the family of God, and so we're going to do that. Uh, A second corporate rhythm is confession, uh, confessing our sins to one another. Let's talk about this for a sec, because uh, when I say that, people go, "Uh, really, is that what we're supposed to do? Primarily, we need to confess to God. Like There is no mediator between God and man other than Christ Jesus. There is no priest, there is no pastor, there is no person in our life that... uh, needs to be our go between between us and God that we can go directly to God and we can confess our sins and we can have faith that he is going to give his forgiveness to us because we have confessed and repented yet scripture in James 5:16 also tells us to confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed and so why is it important why does James say it's important for us to confess to one another if it really if I've already confessed to God and if I confess to God then God's forgiven me so why confess to other believers I think there's three things we can get out of learning to confess to one another. Uh, The first is it's great at keeping us humble. You know, it makes us remind ourselves that really I don't have it all together. Um, I'm not kind of what I project to be out. I'm not as good as I sometimes want to think that I am. I also uh, am still struggling. I'm still working on things. And so it allows us to just enter into that space that reminds us of that on a regular basis. Uh, Second, I think... It's important because it can encourage uh, other believers in Christ, our brothers and sisters. Um, The reality is we live in a very suburban culture, right? Like people go home and the garage door comes out, and we have no idea what happens behind those closed doors and drawn windows. Uh, But then when everybody comes out, when the garage door goes back up, it's like all smiles and everything's fine and nothing is ever the matter. And so what we can do is because, you know, when we see other people that kind of project that or have that facade, we see their smiles and we think, well, they must actually have it all together. But then we look at our own lives and we know what goes on behind the closed doors at our own house. And so we think, man, I'm a mess. They've got it all figured out. What in the world is wrong with me? Why can't I get it all figured out? And we're in this danger that comes into the church. If we sit around in Sunday schools and everyone's week was always great and kids are always great and marriage is always great and finances are always great, and you're like, why is everyone else great and I'm not great? And, and we can think, has everyone else truly advanced this far beyond me in holiness? And if that's the case, then I just need to sit back and be quiet and be isolated in my sin because I don't want to let others know that what's going on in my life is not really that great. doesn't really line up with what God is calling me to. But the truth of us is that we may feel it from time to time because we're all there. Like None of us have it all figured out. None of us have it all together. Uh, We're all stumbling towards glory, one day at a time, thanks to the grace of God, as he grows us and grows us. Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York for many years, he recently retired, uh, has a great way of putting it. He says, the gospel tells us that we are worse off than we ever could have imagined, but also more loved than we ever could have dreamed. So as we grow in the grace of Christ, like as we grow in Christian maturity, We should grow in our knowledge that there are thoughts and there are attitudes and there are behaviors in our lives that do not reflect what God has called us to. They do not reflect how we want to be obedient. But at the same time, we grow in that knowledge. Uh, We also grow in our security that we are grounded, not in how we do and not in how we behave, but in the work of Christ for us. While we're striving to put together, to put to death the things that aren't of Christ, we know it's okay to be struggling with these things. Because our hope is in the promise of God that he's going to complete his good work in us. Our hope is in Christ and his ability to save us and his ability to keep us, not in our day or our week or our year. And so as we realize those two things, that we are still growing in faith, and there are many things that do not line up with what Christ has called us to, but we are secure and we are loved in Christ. As we grow in those two things, we are freed up with the ability to say, hey, you know what? There are things in my life that aren't what they should be. And to be able to share those with others. And as we share those with others, other believers that are around us that are struggling and are afraid to admit that they don't have it all together can look at that and go, no, it's okay at church to not be okay. The gospel is for broken people. And that's all of us. Christ said he came not for the, the healthy, but for the sick. And so we signal that. and We invite others to experience freedom and healing in Christ. I think the third thing that confessing to others can help us with is it can help us feel the forgiveness of Christ. See, we we know if we've been in church for very long, we know that our sins are forgiven. Like Intellectually, we understand that that's a reality, but oftentimes our hearts are disconnected for that. We know we're forgiven, but we don't really feel forgiven sometimes. And it's helpful in that moment. We're kind of in this cycle of just not feeling forgiven to have someone sit down with us and remind us of who we are in Christ. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. He said, A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of that other person. What it means by that is when we confess to another brother or sister in Christ, when they're standing there, that person is standing in the place of Christ for us like the woman caught in adultery in James, uh, John chapter 8. You know, these accusers drag her out and throw her down in front of Jesus, and they're just heaping guilt and shame and accusations on her. And we may not, we may not find ourselves being accused by outside people very often. Um, likely that's the case. But oftentimes we don't really need that. Like our most effective accuser is that voice in the back of our head that just reminds us time and time again about every time we have fallen short, every time we haven't measured up, every time... Uh, we've messed up and we've sinned. And when we're caught in that cycle of just not being able to, to silence that voice and we just keep hearing that and keep feeling that weight bear down, it is so helpful to have another Christian sit, aside, or sit across from us and say the words of Jesus over us. It says, hey, brother, sister, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? They can't. You're forgiven. And if they don't condemn you, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. To be reminded that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And to encourage us to live in light and in freedom because of that. And so some practical thoughts, just like what does this, uh, how does this play itself out in kind of our our routines and our rhythms? Uh, There's never going to be like a time in the service, like open mic, hey, come confess your sins and we'll all just like look at you. Uh, awkwardly. Um, like, or even better have Frank like, walk around the room with a mic and like, hand it to people and stare at you until you say something. Um, no, what, what this plays its way out is it's not necessarily the big group time together, but smaller settings. A Sunday school class or a small group. Uh, maybe it's just the men or the women of that group. Maybe it's just one or two people that love you and you trust. Uh, a lot of that has to do with wisdom in a particular situation um, and can look differently. Uh, one thing to think about when you're picking someone to confess to, and this kind of goes without saying, but it's worth saying, is you want to kind of be wise in who you tell things to and have observed their life. Are they? Uh, do they exhibit some Christian maturity? Uh, are they wise in what they put on social media? Are they wise in uh, what they talk about and who they talk about? Just because it's healthy for us to bring the things that are in the darkness into the light doesn't mean we need somebody else to like, shine a spotlight on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, There's a... a Confession can stay between you and that other person, and it should. And finally, if, if we hear a confession, if someone comes to us and says, hey, there's something that I'm struggling with, that I just need to tell someone, and I, I want to tell you, uh, will you listen? We need to fight that urge that's inside of us to immediately run to say, oh, yeah, that, that, okay, I heard you. what you're saying, but that's not that bad. I mean, it's really okay. Other people struggle with that. Um, it could be worse. Because a lot of times that's where we first want to jump to. And that's a good impulse. Like, we want to offer comfort, and the gospel gives us comfort. Um, But at the same time, like, we need to realize that as Christians, we don't need to be told that our sin's okay. We need to be told that our sin is forgiven, right? There are churches you can go to, different faith traditions, uh, that have a formalized practice uh, of prayers of confession in the weekly service. And what this looks like is it's not like a a specific prayer, like, oh, Lord, forgive Sally who was smoking out behind the gym again this week. Um, No, it's a a generic prayer that the, uh, general prayer that the church reads together, uh, which says, Lord, we confess, we come together and know this week that I have not lived as I should have, I have not loved as I should have, I've fallen short of uh, so much. And as the church kind of repeats this together, there is always immediately following a piece called absolution. And it's this moment in the service in these faith traditions where someone will stand up and kind of speak again, stand in the place of Christ over the congregation. And their job is to pronounce absolution over the congregation, which means they were released from guilt because of the work, Christ's work on the cross on our behalf. And that's what we need, either formally, like in those settings, or informally when we're sitting just talking to someone. It's not someone to say, it's okay, don't be too hard on yourself. That We need someone to look us in the eye and say, you know what, you're right. You have sinned against God and against others. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that sin and all the others you have committed and all the others that you will ever commit have been completely and totally and utterly forgiven. Praise God. Now go and sin no more. And we shouldn't diminish sin. but We should always be quick to point people past their sin to the cross of Christ. So what does this look like? Um, On an individual level, I think it calls us to just times of introspection. Uh, Now you can go kind of overboard with this. There are people, Martin Luther, the reformer was actually famous for this, that he had like a really tender conscience. So before he launched the Protestant Reformation, he was a Catholic monk in training and he would literally confess for hours a day. And then he would leave the confessional and like get four steps away and be like, oh, I forgot more. Enough that his priest said, stop it. Like stop confessing. You're taking this to an extreme. And some of us have those tender consciences where we just like have this tendency to heap guilt and, and shame upon ourselves Uh, And that's not what God has for us, but it is healthy to say, okay, for a short period of time, for a definite amount of time on a regular basis, I'm going to ask God to use the next five minutes, the next ten minutes, and show me if there's anything in my life that I need to confess to him or confess others. Um, And then to do that, if he shows us something, again, not to feel guilty about it because we know there's no condemnation if we're in Christ, but to hear it and say, well, I want that to live more in line with the gospel. Uh, In our family, I think it's important we can build a culture of confession. Um, Make this a practice of when I realize I'm wrong, when you realize you're wrong, uh, we go to the person we've wronged and say, hey, I am sorry, I have wronged you. Can you forgive me? I think a lot of us grew up in homes that as a kid, you're expected to be the one that's apologizing anytime you do something wrong but we never really saw that modeled uh, from our parents. If you did, if you had parents that modeled that, I think that's phenomenal. Uh, But for many of us, we're trying to kind of Learn that because we didn't see that, and that's okay. There's um, grace for that. It's it, time, it takes practice. Uh, it's kind of odd because I think sometimes it's uh, like home is the hardest place to confess. I think because we feel so much pressure about getting it right um, that every time we, we mess up, it's like, I, I don't want to admit that I get it wrong. Even though the people that are in our home are the exact people that know exactly how much we need the grace of God more than anybody else. And so, do we do that? Are we quick to say, hey, I'm going to model what this looks like to my kids, to my spouse? Uh, to my parents, maybe. And then finally, we as the church come together and we practice this by confessing and hearing confessions and reminding each other of the forgiveness of Christ. Uh, The third practice to look at, the third rhythm, uh, is remembrance and celebration. One of the most common commands in the Old Testament is the command to remember, to stop and remember what God has done for the people of Israel. A lot of times if you read like the narratives, you'll see God do this mighty work in the lives of some people and those people stop uh, and they build an altar there, which is literally, it's not complex. It's just a pile of rocks they put together on that spot. The point being in years to come, they're going to pass that spot again and that will jump out at them because it's not normal to just see a pile of rocks put together. You see that pile of rocks, you go, someone piled some rocks together. And as you see that pile, it's a chance to go, oh yeah, this is what God did for us and a chance to teach your kids, and a chance to remember it yourself, and a chance to be thankful. You know, the the law that God gave the people of Israel had days and weeks. They were commanded to cease work and celebrate what God had done. Uh, And there was actually consequences if you didn't. Like, if you decided to keep working, God said he would cut that person off from the people of Israel. Like, it was a law for them to stop and celebrate, which is a pretty good law to give when you think about it. Like, party or else. Like, that's the kind of command that I want to get, um, but God's people are called to be different from the nations around them, and that included their pattern of celebration. Uh, and the commands aren't necessarily the same in the New Testament to do things like that, but the tendency and the helpfulness of that pattern is the same, because we're also very prone to forget the goodness and the blessings of God. And we have the same tendency of Israel, uh, and we, so we need to practice reminding ourselves of his faithfulness uh, and His goodness to us, and the times we've seen Him do that before, because that will help us persevere through the days that are hard and are dark and the diff- different circumstances and difficulties that come our way. When we find ourselves in the middle of them, that's the exact time that we have a tendency to forget what God has done in the past. And so if we make a practice of uh, reminding ourselves about God's goodness, then we're equipped to handle those situations. And it's also good to celebrate um, because we were meant for joy. like Scripture says that we are created to be satisfied completely in God and what He is. And the reason that we're not is because sin has entered this world. We've got the promise that God is coming to redeem things, to set things right. And so all of history is moving towards this day when God does that, when God uh, eliminates death and evil and sin and darkness from this world forever. Uh, we have this picture of what that day will be like. And that day is a, the wedding supper of the Lord. It's a wedding celebration, a wedding reception. And most of us have been to a wedding where you've gone and you've been to the, the reception afterwards and you leave and you're like, those people spared no expense. You're like, and what you think is those people know how to throw a party. You know, like, because it was just, you no know, expense was spared, no detail was overlooked. There was so much time and energy and money made into making this a celebration that people will remember for the rest of their life. And people put that time and energy in because what's happening in that day, the marriage of two people is worth celebrating um, It's worth celebrating. And so that's the picture we get in the New Testament is when this happens, it's the celebration to end all celebrations. It's the party to end all parties that we will finally get to experience what it meant to be and what everything else is going towards. And so if that's like where we believe uh, history is going, if that's what we believe God is doing in redeeming us, then it makes no sense that we wouldn't also find reasons to celebrate now. Like we should be known for people that celebrate and that have joy because that's what we think uh, we're headed towards. We're created for joy, and so we need to create outlets for this. Again, this is so fun at this stage, because with a two-year-old, we get to just see kind of unbridled joy at simple things. You know, they just, the world is a magical place. The world is a wondrous place. He gets so excited about, he moved recently from a crib to like a twin bed, and that was like the best thing in the world. You're like, okay, man, let's party, yeah. Uh, And I think we can learn a lot from that, because somewhere along the way, most of us get kind of, you know old and cynical about things but just to look and say no we should be more like that uh, we should be more just quick to celebrate with joy quick to express joy and gratitude and we should look for reasons to do it There are some naturally ones we have uh birthdays special dates um the kind of just naturally our culture says we should celebrate these things holidays and so we, We should be known for doing that, um, for celebrating things, but also uh, we can just find reasons to get together and to celebrate with other believers. Super Bowl, end of school, beginning of school, work anniversaries, getting a raise. Uh, Are we people that just go, hey, you know what? It's worth the good blessings that God gives us in our life to pause and actually to celebrate those things. It's not just throwing a party for the sake of throwing a party, but also using that uh, to intentionally celebrate the goodness of God. Now, this doesn't mean if it's a Christian party, you can only have it if you play Christian radio in the background the whole time, where you have to stop somewhere along the way and do a Bible study. Uh, sometimes we've been to those things where those things are kind of tacked on. You're like, this is super awkward. Um, we don't want to say that because you don't want to say that in church because people look at you like you're not supposed to say that, but they're all thinking it. Um, and it doesn't have to be what it is, but what it is is just this intentional thought of, hey, in the midst of everything we're doing, there's this Godward slant towards it where we realize that these good things that we're celebrating are good gifts that come from a good God. And so what does this look like? Uh, As an individual, I think we need to remember uh, God's goodness for us to take time to reflect and just kind of maybe it's keep a list and keep a log and just on a, a regular basis look back and go, man, how has God been faithful? How has he been good to me? How have I seen that truth over and over? And families just... We can create space. Again, we can get into a rhythm of remembering God's goodness to us. And we can do a rhythm of just being people that celebrate in our homes with our kids. Um, it's especially easy with little kids because all you have to do is tell them it's a party and suddenly it's a party. Uh, as kids get older, maybe you've got to put a little bit more effort into it. And they may be like, we don't normally do this. What are you doing? Stop being weird, mom and dad. Um, but no, this is just a healthy thing for us to do. Is to say We're going to be people that believe we are created for joy so we will have places where we express that joy. And as a church, it's the same. I spent like five minutes trying to figure out how to make this look different. I couldn't, so I just typed it again. Um, It's to remember and celebrate together as a family of God. That's why we do things like the church picnic uh, in the spring. This is why we do things like the the Christmas Eve or the Christmas uh, dinner that we do, because it's good to take some time and just come together outside of our normal rhythm, our normal services and celebrate what God has done, and celebrate things that are going on. This is why in a few weeks we're going to launch small groups, and we're going to do a small groups launch party. We could launch small groups without doing a party, but why would we want to? Like, let's throw a party, Uh, and so we're going to do that. Are we people that are known for celebration and for remembering? So here's the thing. So we're wrapping up four weeks of the series. And our hope is, as we kind of launch this, Kyle and I, this would be an encouragement and maybe a challenge to say, okay, where are some things that I can build some more rhythms into my life uh, that help me get to know God more? Are these means of grace that God can use to transform me? But there's also kind of two dangers. If, this, if you imagine like a, it's a, a series like this is a road with two uh, ditches on either side that people can fall into. And on one side, there are probably some people in here that come and hear these sermons in each week. And all we hear are like things that we know we should be doing, but we don't feel like we're doing enough of them. And so we're just reminded that we're not doing enough and we'll never be enough. And we've tried it before and we can never get it right. And so like every time you come in here, you feel like it's like, hey, welcome to Heritage Park. Here's your weekly helping of guilt. Uh, and don't forget to pick up shame on the way out the door. See you next week, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's not our hope and that's not how we should receive this. That's you. That's not how you should hear this. Uh, None of us do all that we can. None of us are all that we should, that we love God the way we should, uh, or serve others in how God calls us. But we serve a Lord that said, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Heavy doses of guilt and shame are not the yoke of Jesus upon our lives. It's okay for us to still be a work in progress. Because we're accepted already because of what Christ has done. We're not accepted because of some future version of yourself that will finally get it right. Because sometime down the road, things will finally work out or you'll finally get it figured out. You are accepted today by the God of the universe. And grace is available as we can stumble towards glory, as we try and be faithful. As God works on us, uh, have grace for yourself. Give yourself the same grace that God gives to you. And so I don't feel like you've got to get it all figured out in six weeks. Uh, or else you're a bad Christian. Just take a step towards God and trust that He's going to meet you, and that He's going to use uh, your successes and your failures over the next uh, decades of your life, if you have that with the Lord, to make you into the person that God wants you to be. And on the other side, um, some of us hear a sermon like this, and this is kind of where I fall more often, and so I'm speaking to myself as much as anything, but... We hear a sermon like this, and we think, okay, that's great. I know that these are good things that I should do, but my life right now, I just really don't have the time for it. It's not really practical, and I wish I could, but I don't. So we just kind of don't feel guilt. We just kind of tune out and feel really apathy. We feel nothing. We're just like, it'd be great if I could, but I can't, so I'm going to just check out. And if that's if that's you, if that's me as it often is, I think the call to us then is the first step back and just consider who it is that we most want to be in life. Like what type of life do we want to lead? Because I think most of us would say, I want to be great at the things that are worth doing. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great uh, wife or mother, great brother, sister, great employee, a great employee. Like we want to do things and we want to do them well because God's wired us, I think, for excellence because God's a God that makes excellent things. Um, And if we are a believer in Christ, and I think most of us would say, I want to be a Christian that really strives after God. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be someone that at the end of my days, at my funeral, people get together and say, uh, man, that person, that man, that woman, loved God and loved others like few that I've ever known. So that's what we want. um, But the reality is the type of life we'll lead, the type of person that we are becoming, isn't formed by big ideas and by hopes and by dreams and by the things we want we are formed day in and day out uh, by how we spend our days and our weeks and our years, by how our hours and our minutes come out. The building blocks of who we are are the rhythms which we place into our lives. And so how we spend our days today and tomorrow is ultimately gonna be what determines the type of person we become at the end of our life because we are becoming something. People don't stay static. We continually progress in one direction or another. And so the question I think for us is to step back and say, What are the rhythms that are currently in my life? Who are they shaping me to be? Are they rhythms that are shaping me to be who I want to be in my depth? And if I said, are they shaping me to be who I most want to become, who I think God wants me to become? Or are they shaping me to be something else? Are they shaping me to be the person my employer wants me to become, my family wants me to become, the person that marketing departments want me to become, the person that device manufacturers want me to become? Who is it? Like, what are the rhythms that I'm having in my life who are they shaping me into? Because we all have rhythms. Our lives are all built upon rhythms. As we stake back, as we step back and think about it, uh, if we are not, if the things that we've kind of built into our lives as rhythms aren't shaping us into who we most want to be, uh, then maybe we consider making some changes in those rhythms. The goal of this service, the goal of this series, is not to say you guys should start doing things that you don't want to do. The goal is to say, who do you want to be? Who do you most want to be? And then is your life being built in a way that lines up with that goal, with that end in mind? Or are we just going kind of with the flow and hoping it works out for the best? I think God calls us, like we saw in First Timothy, to discipline ourselves, to strive. Uh, it won't be perfect, and it certainly won't be easy uh, to do. It's hard to change kind of these built-in patterns. It's like rerouting rivers sometimes. Uh, but a few verses later... In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this in verse 10. He says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I mean, Paul uses words like toil and strive. Hard work is what this requires. But this is worthwhile. This is possible to do because our hope is set, again, not on our own ability, not on our own strength. But our hope is set on God of the universe and in his redeeming work. So it is worth it to do this, to strive after him. And while we do that, to trust in God's grace and power that we can develop new rhythms, new habits that are going to point us to God. And we trust that he will, not today, not tomorrow, not in a year, complete this work in us. But that as we are faithful day in and day out in a lifetime of pursuing God, that God is going to shape us and mold us in a way that we can't even imagine the product that God's going to bring about in our life. Um, it's not up to us. It's up to God doing this work in us. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come before you and just confess um, our limitations. We confess that we all know that we don't measure up at times. We confess that uh, We wish we loved you more. We wish we loved the church around us more. We wish we loved our neighbor more. Um, But we are sinful and we are uh, prone to wander and prone to forget and prone to so many things. Lord, we just throw ourselves on your grace and thank you for your redeeming work in our life, Lord. Um, And we just pray that you would do what you say you will do, that you will work in us and through us and bring about uh, just a radical transformation into the image of your Son, Because that is what uh, you're about. Because that brings you glory to transform people uh, from death to life, from sinners to saints. Thank you that you are at work in us now. Please give us the grace and the strength and the perseverance. to Experience these means of grace to pursue you in new ways. Uh, I pray you would just be with us in all that we do. All these things we pray in your son's name. Amen.